You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hello, hello, it's Brooke DeVard, and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. I am so excited to share this episode with you guys. I had an amazing conversation with my friend and colleague, Kate Seward. She really opened up about her childhood, dealing also with some addiction issues and how she got into recovery and working the 12-step program. She was just so open and vulnerable, but we also laughed and had so much fun. So as Kate and I were talking about addiction and knowing when you have a substance abuse problem, something came up around when do you know that you have a problem? Like what's that bridge between it's just innocent fun and I should really get it together? And it's really kind of hard to tell. She had a really interesting point of view on it that I won't spoil, but she did very kindly offer to be available in her DMs if anyone has any questions after listening to the episode or they just want to chat with her about her process. She is at the Kate Seward on Instagram. Let's get to the show. I am sitting here with Kate Seward. Is Seward the correct pronunciation? That is. Kate Seward. Is my phone handy? Yes. I'm actually just going to read your Instagram bio. Okay. I can't remember it exactly, but I think it's like a very good uh, descriptor for the work that you do. So, okay. Writer. Definitely a writer and chief Instagrammer at Viacom Velocity. And for those of you that don't know, Velocity is like our super cool like agency at Viacom that does amazing content, clean eating, definitely clean eating, crystal loving, and highly caffeinated. (laughs) Then you've got sunglass emoji, star emoji, crystal ball emoji. Amazing. Love it. What's your sign? I'm a Virgo. Virgo. I feel like the only thing missing from your bio is like sun sign, like Virgo, rising sign. <laughs> like I feel like that's the only thing missing from your bio. I might add it. I think you should add it. Or I will take the whole thing out and just put hippie with edge. I think hippie with edge is really good. I think that defining yourself as a writer is also prop like is it kind of scary to like call like define yourself as a writer? You're definitely a writer. I mean Oddly, it's less scary now that I don't write fiction than it was. Like it used to be when I was still a fiction writer, it used to be this whole melodrama of like, am I a real writer (laughs) if I haven't like ever published anything? Yeah. And like, you know, it was constantly like a source of like angoisse, you know, my endless. What does that word even mean? Angoisse? I've never heard that you're like way, way above my level. (laughs) What does that word mean? mean? It's it's sarcastic, like angoisse, like the, like French for like angst or like anxiety. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Like just like the root of all my suffering was like not knowing if I was a writer or not. And then once I decided I wasn't a novelist and was like not a writer at all, um, and never thought I would write anything ever again. Now that I am, you know, a copywriter, like it, it's so much easier than ever to call myself. Like, cause I just don't care. Like if I were right. to tell my, someone though, who's like writes for like the New Yorker that I was a writer, they'd be like, you're not a writer, you joker. And really, when but- I was in my twenties, that would have hurt me. And now I'm like, I make money writing things. <laughs> I was just going to say so, that. So I'm a writer. Yeah. Like but, your paycheck kind of means that you are a writer. Correct. But I mean, 15 years ago, I wouldn't have said that. You, you know wouldn't what have, I mean? yeah, defined yourself as a writer. Right. 
Yeah, I think it's kind of like you say you are and so you are in a lot of ways. Like I'm a podcaster because I just decided that this equipment setup that I've got and putting out shows means I'm a podcaster. But but it is true. Like my stumbling block now is like, I wouldn't say that I'm a photographer, right? Because that has all this like shit. But you are because you shoot everything that goes on the Instagram page. Correct. And I shoot all my own stuff and I was a street style photographer for a while, but for some reason that is like the thing that I am stressed out about or like don't feel comfortable owning. Owning it. As though like... Inez and Vinod are going to come to my door and be like, you're not like a real photographer, <laughs> FYI. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, mean? I, think, like, I think that you can claim it. You should add Virgo and photographer, and photographer. to your bio by 2019. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very happy to have you on my podcast because I feel like we have long talks often. Yes. And you're super into like eating superfoods and like getting cool manicures and like you've got this great like hair look that I'm obsessed <laughs> with and I want to talk about... So I feel like it was just a matter of time before you came on the podcast to like have an official discussion. And I am thrilled. I love your podcast, as you know. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's also like, I think that it's a very comfortable show to come on because it's really just talking how we would talk if there weren't microphones. We might be having this conversation anyway. Exactly. Somewhere. Exactly. Okay. Your decision to go full platinum blonde. Oh, so I finally decided and then I ended up going, doing it the day before a wedding. Which is maybe not... Yeah, not a good time to test, like, a dramatic new look. Yeah, but I had in my mind, I was like, well, if I do it and I hate it, I'll just dye it back. Okay. Turns out, and luckily I did not know this at the time, it turns out you can't actually do that. Because it takes so much to, like, strip your hair to even get it. Right, but... Also, by the time you strip your hair, it holds color differently. So you can't just be like, you know what, I'm going to, I just, you know. Got it. I hate this. Let's just go back to what we had. It's impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. You've lost that forever. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't know that and I got it done and it was fine and I went to the wedding and I actually felt, I was actually a little bit like self-conscious at first and then, you know, Oh my gosh. Whatever. For me, it's like how I... I, like in my mind's eye, when I think of you, I think of you with this like white blonde hair. Cause it's not, it's not just like platinum blonde. It's white. It's white. Yeah. It's white. And it's so perfect for you. I feel like it just like suits you so well. Really? See, I got paint in it at Via Community Day and I had to, and was sort of like, maybe I'm done with this. Maybe this is too complicated. And I was trying to, I've been thinking about like, how does one grow this out? I don't know. Yeah, it's so interesting, your point about, like, you were thinking about it all summer before before you did it. Like, I feel like so much of women's, I shouldn't just say women, I'll speak for myself. There's so much internal time spent thinking about, like, what am I going to do with my hair? Right. Right? It's just, like, always kind of, like, even when you've changed your hair, like, it only takes, like, a week or two before you're, what am I going to do next? It's, like, a thing. Yes, it is a thing. I don't know. I feel like it's one thing I feel like I can change more easily. It's like I can throw money at it and change it, which is a very entitled thing to say. And so even without money, you can take a pair of scissors. Like it's, it's something that you can change and it's a dramatic impact on the way you look. Like it's like if you are in a, I mean, and this is the, the thing, right? Like a lot of times we like, we do things as an emotional response. Yeah. Right. So for example, like you're, you might eat like a cake as an emotional response. If you want to have an emotional response that shows up on your body Mm. immediately, hair is the way to go. That's so interesting. And it's so true. Like it's, it's one of those things like you get a bad breakup, like you chop off all your, it's like like a thing. Yeah. That's a trope, right? Like that's a thing. And so I think that's, maybe that's why hair is a marker of like, it's like a certain kind of identity in terms of how we perceive ourselves as attractive maybe Mm -hmm. in some way and so like it's the first thing we can go for if we want to be like in our minds we think if we change our hair it will we will be seen differently and it's an easy way to do it yeah a shortcut to transformation yeah and so now that you have hair that's been color treated and processed and has all these chemicals you have to take care of it right in a whole new way that's probably been invisible to you yes I have in the past had like very easy hair like yeah wash and go I wash it and I leave yeah and like there was a period of time where like just brushing it 
was really an achievement. And um, <laughs> by the way, this is a form of white privilege. Yes. I should say. Exactly. As you learned. As I learned, because someone that we both know, an ex-coworker of ours, Danielle, we used to have these things uh, in the group that I was in in Viacom that doesn't exist called The Itch, where you'd give a presentation about something that you were passionate about. Danielle gave hers on her natural journey, which as like a white woman yeah. who has like essentially straight hair, like it was not something I knew anything about. I couldn't believe that I didn't know anything about it because if you have friends who are women of color and you don't know anything about it, you like literally don't know this like vast percentage yes. of their life experience. Yes. It was highly enlightening. Yeah. I had her on the podcast. She yeah. did an episode with Destiny and we talked about her kind of natural hair journey, but it's... Yeah. It is something I like literally a whole world of like stress that I hadn't even thought about. <laughs> you know, having gone platinum, I have like the tiniest insight into what that's like because... When I got my hair done, my stylist was like, aren't you glad you never have to wash your hair? And I was like, yes, I am very glad. But what it means is that washing your hair is not just like washing your hair. It's like a whole project thing. It's like a day in and of itself, if not of longer, course. of like the washing, the moisturizing, then the moisturizer that goes in after that. And then when, like in between, like, do you run water over your head do you not like what like yeah. like even brushing my hair because the whole texture of your hair changes right and your hair is much more fragile now because yeah. it has these kind of chemicals and stuff yeah one thing that I do worry about I was just thinking about kind of being white <laughs> and a woman yeah you would say you would identify as liberal right you're kind of yeah. as left you're as left as it gets I mean <laughs> not as left as it gets no but yes Yes. yes, you're very open-minded. You have kind of friends of all different backgrounds. I think that I would worry, and I was only thinking about this looking at the Coachella pictures, like I would really worry about cultural appropriation. I think if I were white, I would worry about it like more than I really had to. But all of the discussion around like, can you get cornrows? Can you like wear like African prints? Like it's a conversation that's happening and... I feel like in a lot of ways, the color of my skin protects me from some of that. Like, I don't think I will be accused of cultural appropriation, even if I'm appropriating like Native American culture, which like technically right. I have no right to. But do you ever worry about wearing like ethnic prints or wearing your hair in braids so that it would be perceived as appropriation? There was a time when I didn't think about it. I do think about it. Like, would you get cornrows? Like, would you get no. your hair in cornrows? And because no. it's not your look or because you feel like it would be, like, offensive? Kind of both. <laughs> kind of both. Okay. Kind of both. I feel you on that. Like, I just, there's no, like, my head, like, just does like, there, do you know what I'm <laughs> yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, Like, like yeah, everything, yeah. I'm like, why, who would I? Well, it's, it's, just, it's kind of like the, um, like, the white dreadlocks, like how some people are so desperate to get locks that they'll make their hair do, like, just basically get so dirty and matted that they have dreadlocks, which is a very difficult style to achieve if you have Caucasian hair. Right. And that's why, like, I personally feel like it's not a good look, like, it doesn't fully work. Yeah. But I don't find it offensive. Like, I don't find it offensive when I see white people with dreadlocks, but I get I, why people do. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Like, I would never wear, like... Like the feather feathered head... Feathered headdress. Like, I just feel like that's fucking irresponsible. I agree. Like, I agree. As, like, an intelligent person engaged with the world who feels like I would deserve whatever came to me for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Someone who looks like me should not be wearing a feathered headdress. I know. But, like, okay, so I just got in, in Istanbul in the Grand Bazaar, I just got this Nefertiti necklace... Yes, which, which also I and is very beautiful. Thank you. And it also is kind of like Beyonce's Coachella look as well, because she did kind of like a Nefertiti thing. So now, like, it means even more to me. It's like my beehive, like, right. medallion. <laughs> but I'm not Egyptian, you know? I, no one is, I don't think anyone would ever come for me and be like, Brooke, like, you have no right to wear that Nefertiti necklace. Like, that's not your culture. But in a lot of ways, like, me wearing it is just as out of place as, like, a Dutch white person wearing it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, I guess, like, I am, Af my ancestry is African, but all of our ancestry is African. That's a good point. So, I don't know. I think that I'm, I don't, I don't think that I have to be as cognizant of it, because I think to a degree, 
my melanin protects me from some of the criticism. But it's an interesting discussion to be having now because I think that looks are so visible because of things like Instagram. So if you do wear something or do a look like people like you can be called out, screenshots can be made. And it feels like a scary time to like make a mistake because I also don't think that people mean to offend. I just think they don't know better. I don't think they mean to. I, I think I agree with that. And at the same time, I also feel like it is my responsibility to like educate myself in the things that will offend. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's my job as a white person to like keep it, keep it together. Do you know (laughs) what I mean? Keep it together. Like just like, yeah, no, but to know, like it shouldn't be someone else's job to educate me. Right. And that's, you know what I mean? The burden's not on the minority to like fix it. Yes. I agree. Um, Okay, so one of the things that I like to do on Naked Beauty is really start with your perception of yourself and your approach to beauty from the most awkward time period of your life, which is usually around middle school, like 14, 15. Like, when was your peak awkwardness? Oh, God, middle school, what a nightmare. Okay, I know. I feel like I've blocked out so much of it because it was so traumatic. One summer... I spent in the south of France with these family friends and they had a daughter who was my age. You went alone? I went by myself. It was so like adult and chic. Yeah, it was very adult and chic, except that I spent a lot of the summer like hiding because I was like (laughs) so traumatized. Um, How old were you at this point? I was, I must have been 12. Okay. It was the summer after seventh grade. The daughter in this French family was terrifying to me. You know, she was like tiny and French and perfect. And like, she was like that. We still in the U.S. have that myth of like the chic French girl who just like gets up in the morning and walks out of the house and is somehow in a trench coat, like immediately, you know, like that's what this girl was like to me. She was that girl for me. And I was like a hundred feet taller than she was. (laughs) And like so much bigger and I just felt like the most ungainly, like gigantic American of all time. That was horrible. That was horrible. Yeah. It's interesting how comparing yourself to someone else or like being around someone who's seemingly so perfect can make you suddenly feel insecure. And it happens when you're younger. So, okay. So then you went to boarding school. How did you feel like about like your looks and I was fairly insecure about my looks throughout boarding school. I've always been one of those people who like, if someone is interested in me, for example, like I just don't know. Like really literally have to, like someone has to literally be like, he's interested in you. Oh my God. Are you one of those women that like doesn't realize they're pretty? You're like one of those. (laughs) You're one of those like, Oh, I'm attractive. It's like, I know, but I don't. You objectively know, but you're not, it's not something that's, but it's, yeah, it's, it's not, not part of your inner yeah, monologue. It, yeah. It's not part of my inner monologue, which I think is problematic. Actually. It's like, it's problematic, but not for the ways that you might think. Like it's like in the same way that like the true definition of like humility is knowing your strengths as well as your mm-hmm. weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Like it's not humble to be like, Oh no, 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 no you know, I'm not that good at that thing when you are clearly good at whatever that thing is. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it doesn't behoove me to like, there's nothing wrong with being attractive and knowing you're attractive. Right. You know, but as, as women, even that's like dangerous territory because it's seen as vanity almost. It's like, we're, we're supposed to feel self-confident and we're supposed to feel like, we're not supposed to be insecure, but we're also not supposed to publicly say I'm attractive. Right totally free of all insecurities and confident, but also extremely humble and modest. Like that's the expectation. Yes. Sorry. I got us way off track. So no, okay. no, 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 but I'm thinking about that. Cause I'm sort of like, yes, but I'd rather just be completely vocal about all of it. <laughs> like, oh yeah. It's like, yes. So I am sort of one of those like clueless people, but I, I feel like that it doesn't, it, there's no good in that. There's no good in not mm-hmm. like being aware that you're attractive. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't help to not, Oh, no, definitely. And I think that also kind of how you see yourself when you're young in those formative years, those effects linger on. Yeah. So like as you were kind of like figuring out who you were and how you wanted to like be seen as a woman, did your parents have an impact on how you saw 
Yes. Beauty. My, my mother is not like a big makeup person, but she's very... Chic. I've she, seen your mom. Yeah, she's like perfect. Yeah. She's extremely chic and she's extremely like attuned to appearances. She lives in Paris. She lives if in Paris. If you Paris. needed any more evidence that she's very yeah, chic. My mother is like way more fabulous than I will ever be. And I am fine with that. She can do that. But I, you know, she definitely being put together mm-hmm. is part of what like beauty was in our family. Yeah. You know, I realize actually now that we're talking about this, that there wasn't that much discussion of like who was beautiful, who wasn't when mm-hmm. I was growing up. Like my father was not, it wasn't something that like he brought to, he brought up when I was growing mm-hmm. up. It like wasn't a discussion on the table. And I remember actually a couple of years ago, him telling me that he thought that I was the most beautiful woman he had ever met in mm-hmm. his life. And I literally almost started crying. I was like, you have never said that to me. And he said, really? Because it's always just been so obvious to me. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It was the loveliest thing, but I was like, could have used that info at 14. (laughs) That would have been helpful. Could have used that in that summer in the south of France. south of France. Yeah. Um, But... Anyway, for my mom, it was definitely, it's definitely about, like, how your body looks, how you dress, like, how you present, how you take care of yourself Mm -hmm. that way. Yep. Um, Like, I weigh myself every day, and I think that I don't realize it, but growing up, like, my mom weighed herself every day. That was, like, a thing. And if we went on, like, a vacation or something, and she got on the scale, and she didn't like the numbers, she'd be like, I've got to, like, get back to... And so... I have that same approach to eating, understanding when to go on a diet. Um, I think for the most part, it's healthy. But my perception of healthy, I also realize, is skewed by what I'm just used to. Some people, I tell them that I weigh myself every day, and they're horrified. They're like, oh, my God, I haven't stepped on a scale in 10 years. Like, who weighs themselves? Like, what? why torture yourself? And I'm like, uh, I just, it's just what I do. Like, I just wake up, and I weigh myself. No, and that... I think that that can, I can't, literally can't imagine weighing myself every day. It would make me, it would make me probably crazy. That's what a lot of people tell me. Yeah. But it's just part of my. But I think it also, I mean, for some people, like, they cannot weigh themselves every day because of, like, a history with food stuff, right? Which makes it dangerous. Mm. So there's, there's that as well. Yeah. You know, like, thinness was definitely a narrative in my house for sure from my mom that she wanted you to be. Yeah. I mean, my mom for a while, like there was a long period of my life where my mom would like call out my weight or call out like weight loss or weight gain, which was not ideal. Starting how young? I first became aware of like my size in relation to someone else was at seven, which was not something she, yeah. What what happened at seven? Um, I don't know, but I remember being um, on a swing and there being someone next to me. And I remember this like with astounding clarity. My friend who was much smaller than I was and looking at her and being like, why is she so much smaller than I am? Mm. But you were also probably like tall for your age. Totally. I was yeah. like the tallest person in my class for years. But yeah. like, I just remember being like, why is her thigh so much smaller than mine and I'm seven so that was (laughs) unusual (laughs) and um then I was you know when I was I went on my first diet at 10 we went to the nutritionist together it was my birthday present that it was your birthday present my birthday present from your mom from my mom I went to the nutritionist and then I had my ears pierced all in the same doctor's office which I think is like a very <laughs> troubling, like positive feedback loop, right? It's like totally. work on your weight and then like you get something good. I don't know if she even knew she was doing it, but yeah. it's a very good move. <laughs> for, like, I, I think that parents always want the best for their kids. Right. And she probably didn't think that that would have lingering effects, right? Like I think that... Not No, I don't think she... I mean, actually, it's funny. You know how we were talking about radical candor earlier? Yes. My mom literally is radical candor. <laughs> before it was before, fashionable. Before it was something that Cheryl She's Sandra like, honey, was. you're eight years old. You need to lose weight. 
Seriously, though. Yeah. That, my mom is, I was thinking about that. My mom is all about radical candor. And her point in telling me stuff that is hard to hear is like, I just want what's best for you. I want mm. for you to be happy. Mm-hmm. And I understand that like logically. Mm-hmm. And like maybe if that had started at 20, that would be different. But like yes. when you're younger, that just like does not. Right. Like at eight, radical candor is not like a it's good way to go. It's a little down. too much. Yeah. It feels like 10 is like a very early age to start with all of the like dieting and eating bullshit that we literally deal with like pretty Forever. much all of our adult yeah. lives. Yeah. Um, do you feel like it's something that you had to struggle through or that you're still kind of like dealing with in terms of your relationship with food and dieting? Yes. It is something I still deal with. I'll probably deal with it in, for the rest of my life. Yeah. I mean, I think unfortunately a lot of women feel this way. I definitely feel like it's always something in the back of my head. I think I have a pretty healthy relationship with food, especially considering like I used to model, like I've, I've been in situations where it could have gotten really unhealthy. I can't believe you're as normal as you are given that. Yeah. You know what I think weirdly helped me? This is just a totally unfounded theory that I have, but I think that doing sports, like I was very competitive in swimming and track. And I think that doing sports kind of made me realize that I like needed to fuel my body to like right. win. And I'm just like a very naturally competitive person. And I knew that like, if I didn't properly eat, like I would get dizzy. Like I just wouldn't be at peak performance. So I think somehow right. doing sports helps me avoid truly, truly starving. But like, I have a friend that I'm in school with where she was like, Oh please. Like, of course you were anorexic. Like we all were. <laughs> I was like, what? Like, don't want me in. And she was like, honey, like we all had eating disorders. Like don't try to like revise the past. I'm like, I really didn't. She's like, okay. Like (laughs) I roll like, okay, sure. Like, but it's, it's amazing how common it is just all women of all different backgrounds to go through this eating stuff. I a hundred percent. I know very few, the number of women I know who don't have food issues I can count on one hand. Literally can count on one hand. There are two people I can think of. <laughs> How did they avoid it? I don't know. Yeah. I, I literally do not know. What about those weird people? Like, I just watched um, Christina Tosi, I believe her name is. She started Milk Bar. Mm-hmm. She has an episode on Chef's Table on Netflix, and she's talking about, like, eating raw cookie dough and, like, how she, like, loves sweets and has such a sweet tooth. And they literally, one of the opening scenes is her at a county fair, and she's getting deep-fried Oreos, deep-fried Twinkies, deep-fried apple pie, and she's, like, eating it all. And, like, you look at her eating this, and you're, she's a size zero. Yeah, zero she's is, tiny. She is the skinniest person I hate those people. Like, I don't want to have, like, anger and, like, vitriol towards them. But, like, I, it makes me angry. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, there are some people, and I think that those are the people that don't have food issues. Like, when your body doesn't respond negatively yeah. to eating. Like, my brother, he's a string bean. He could eat whatever he wants. Like, diet, con- like, that's not a concept. That's not, like, a thing of, like, oh, I should cut back. Because his body doesn't show evidence yeah. of food ever but that going can in. snap one day. I know that's true. It does happen. Oh, yeah. No, I know. I I keep telling him. I'm like, you should eat more while you can. I mean, the thing is, at the end of the day, like, I don't want to eat that stuff all the time. That's the other thing, too, is like, even if I had a metabolism where I could eat all of that stuff and just that, like... Yeah, you would feel like crap. You would feel horrible. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Physically, you just feel horrible. Yeah. So, okay, so we talked, we're like now kind of at the beginning of high school ish. Right. How are things over at Andover boarding school for boys and girls? For boys and girls. Things are good. I'm, you know, hooked up with my like 501s that are like 4,000 sizes too big. Oh, the Levi's, yeah. Yeah, and my, um, you know, fleece. Yeah, Doc Martens. Doc Martens. The Doc Martens didn't come until actually until junior year. Okay. When like grunge was like really a thing. Okay. When? What? Like nine? Like late nineties? No, like early nineties. Early nineties. Okay. Who were like the beauty icons of that era? Was it like was Courtney Love considered like a babe? She's always been crazy to me. Like I was born Um, in eighty nine. So Courtney Love, Marilyn Manson, Marilyn Shirley Manson from Garbage. 
Oh, yeah. Um, Winona Ryder from, oh, yeah. like, Heather's Winona Ryder. She was a babe. Um, Gwyneth Paltrow from Great Expectations. Okay. Um, which, I mean, she does look stellar in that movie. Oh, and, yeah, she and looks amazing. And the clothes in that movie are sick, so... Yeah. Um, what are the other... So it's like that... You know, it's like the era of, like, the craft. It's a lot yeah. of, like... <laughs> black lipstick. Black lipstick goth. or, like, that goth. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Lipstick. Did you ever have a goth phase? No. Okay. Did not have a goth face. I mean, the sad truth is that I don't actually look or dress that differently from <laughs> high school. Well, that's great. You have great style. You have very thank classic you. American style. Thank you. I appreciate that. But I think about it and like a lot of the pieces I wore, like everything I have now, I probably would have worn then. That's a great sign. That's the goal. Yeah. Is that the goal? Yeah, I think so. That means that your style is truly cemented in who you are, not passing trends or fads. Definitely not a trend person. I mean, I literally have a velvet suit in my closet that I wore in high school. That, oh, yeah, that's amazing. I have things from when I was like 15 that I still wear. I Yeah. I mean, this st- I have a lot of stuff that my mom bought like 30 years ago. Yeah, that's, that's the still, best. It is the best. That's really the best. Those are the goals. This is something that I have heard about boarding school. I don't know if it's true, but I've heard that like one that people are like hooking up much earlier, obviously, cause like you live in dorms and guys are there, even though it's, you can get into a lot of trouble for doing that. And then I've heard that there's a lot more like drinking, partying, drug use. Did you find that to be true? hundred percent. I think a hundred percent. I think that, um, I don't know what the, like, so I started drinking in high school for sure. And when How old? I was, uh, my f- first time I had a drink, I was like 12 and then. What? Yeah. How did you get your hands on? It was like, uh, my family was living in Michigan. Like everyone had like a liquor cabinet. Like, yeah. I remember all of my friends like stole something from their parents' liquor cabinet and we drank it at someone's like. Did you like sleep, it? Sleepaway or slumber party. Yeah. I did. The one thing that I never liked ever was beer, but everything else I, I did beer. like. Yeah. Beer's gross. Like yeah. wine. Um, but I, yeah, there was a lot of partying. The, there had been, like, within the five years around me, there had been, like, a massive cocaine bust, a chote. Like, it was, like, wild yeah. times. I don't know what it's like now. They're for drugs. I think people are more afraid than we, I don't know. But there was a lot, a lot, a lot of drinking at boarding school and I drank pretty much the entire time I was there until my senior year because in the spring of senior year everybody gets put on probation which means that like if you do even the smallest thing you will get kicked out which then means you don't end up going to college going to college at that time at least that was how it worked and were you drinking just like for fun and partying and socializing or did you kind of realize even in boarding school that it was becoming a problem So in boarding school, it wasn't yet a problem. In college, it became clearer to me that while everyone was partying, like my partying was maybe not the same. Some of that came from the way that I like felt about my partying, right? Like I felt a lot of guilt and sort of like shame and concern that other friends of mine didn't seem to have in the same way. 
which, you know, I later, once I stopped drinking, realized is like one of the hallmarks of having, you know, like with every sort of, they're always like signs, right? Like a checklist of symptoms or whatever. And that is having those kinds of feelings tends to be a marker that your alcohol use is not normal. Really? Yeah. I mean, I like people who drink normally or party like normally, whatever that is, like don't sit around like the next day freaking out about why am I doing this? Why am yeah. I doing this? Or like, what did I say? Did I do the wrong thing? Like that, there is some of that, but then there's a level past which that shouldn't really go. I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so now you're, now you don't drink at all. Now I don't drink. I don't do anything at all. Like okay. no, don't smoke, don't drink, don't do any of the other various drug families available. I don't take like anti-anxiety medication because it's addictive. Oh, wow. Um, I don't take sleep medications. Okay. Because they're addictive. Okay. Um, yeah. Like anything that's like habit forming, I don't do. And how long have you been? I have you, been, Do you call it being sober? I call it being sober. Okay. Yeah. I'm deaf. I'm sober like did not go to rehab, but did 12 step, still go to 12 step meetings. Um, I will have 11 years of sobriety on August 1st of this year. That's, it's, um, you know, it down to the day, August 1st. Oh yeah. I very deliberately chose the 1st of August because at least where I got sober in San Francisco, you, um, it's so that anniversaries are easy to remember. That was literally the reason I chose it. It's like so, like such craziness. (laughs) No, I think that's great. And I think it's interesting to me that you still go 11 years in, right? Like how often do you go to meetings? I go to meetings. um, I try to go to at least two a week, if not more. Um, But when I first got sober, when I was living in San Francisco, I went like five to seven days a week. And I, that year was teaching at Stanford. So I had a four and a half hour commute and would still go to a meeting every day. It was insane. They didn't have meetings in Palo Alto? They did, but for some reason it didn't occur to me to try to find one there. Because I also don't know how to drive. So I wouldn't have have been able to get to it unless it was like on the Stanford campus. Yeah. Yeah. There's something so powerful about committing to something time and time again, like year after year after year. And I mean, it seems like the program worked for you or is working for you. I shouldn't say worked, like it's right. working and, and you continue to practice it. At what point, like you said, you didn't go to rehab. At what point did you realize I need to get control of my drinking? Was it drinking specifically? It was drinking specifically, but like literally if it was like available, I would do it. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. Like, I was Equal like, opportunity. Equally opportunity, yeah. like debauchery. And what were you trying to achieve by drinking or getting high? Like were, were you trying to escape something? Like did you, was it part of your identity as a writer? Like what were you trying to get at? I think it, I think it morphed. Like I think, um, I think one of the ways that I, one of the things I told myself, one of the stories I had was that I was a writer, you know, and I was a fiction writer and I was the great American novelist and I was going to be Hemingway because I also used to smoke like a, like a lot of cigarettes, um, you know, and so I would be like drinking scotch and like smoking, chain smoking and talking about literature and talking about the novel that was not getting written because I was like at a bar <laughs> drunk. You know what I mean? Like that it's kind just, of stuff. It's so funny. It's not funny. It's just, it's, it's so different from like you, like <laughs> fresh faced, like drinking your like matcha latte and like with your crystals. <laughs> like, it's just like imagining you like pounding scotch and like chain smoking. is just like not the Kate that I know. No. But it's part of like it who you are in your story. So it's but, beautiful. But I just like, I'm yeah. trying to like imagine this person like drunk at a bar with like a cigarette dangling. And I'm like, it's not you. Like, I just don't see it. Yeah. I mean, so for a long time, it was like my personal narrative. And... But, you know, I've also, like, struggled really seriously with some mental health issues and depression. And, um, you know, I just wanted to get out of my head. Like, mm. I've had people... Self-medication. Yeah. I've had people say, like, 
what do you, like, how do you get out of your head when now that you're sober? And I'm like, you don't. You don't get out of your head. Mm. Like, it is not an option. Like, you don't get out of your head. You just get more used to, like, not, you know, of, like, being able to sit with it. Mm -hmm. It sucks. Or you find other things you can do, like, eat or not eat or spend money or not. But at the end of the day, like, you have to just, like, learn how to be. And that's yeah. the hardest thing. Like, none of us like that because it's uncomfortable to just be. It's uncomfortable to just sit there and be in your own skin and not look for a distraction. And, you know, and that, but that is it. Like, like that's life is, like, the being and being okay with being. And, um, you know, I... No one said it was going to be easy. Right. You know, no one promised me that, but it was that or die. Like, I know I would have died. And I, I, I realize that that might sound melodramatic to someone, but I, I know that if I had kept drinking and doing drugs the way that I was, I would have died. I would have committed suicide. I would have been hit by a car, mm. like in a blackout, crossing a street or something. And so there wasn't really another option. And you know, at the time I was teaching at Stanford. So like, if you had not known me well, you would have been like, why, why, like, you don't need to quit drinking, but yeah, like clearly you have your shit together. If you're a professor at Stanford, it's not, right, yeah, exactly. But there are tons, like once I got sober, you heard stories like, like this all the time. Like a friend of mine was running events at a major tech company and oh, was fired. Yeah. Like it, because she couldn't remember her name in front of a client. Like it happens all. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of functioning the alcoholics, high high, high functioning. functioning alcoholics, like yeah. a tremendous amount. And what happened for me was very simple. I was teaching one of my students. Um, who was Vietnamese, arranged for me to teach a version of my class in Vietnam where she was from. I never wanted to go anywhere other than, like... It's a dream destination. Yeah, it's like the one place in Asia I've been dying to go, and I couldn't go because I was a mess. Mm. And I had to pull out of the trip the last minute, upset all the other people who were going on the trip, obviously disappoint my student, which was horrible. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those moments where my drinking had gotten in the way of my life and there was like no looking at it any other way or rearranging the story to fit some other way of thinking. It was like, no, I was drinking too much and like, I couldn't do this thing I wanted to do. And that was the wake up call. And that was, you know, like two weeks later, I went to my first 12 step meeting. And you just started this complete path to recovery. Yeah, basically. And, but it's, it's a process, right? Like recovery is not, it's not, you don't, there's no such thing as being, as like waking up recovered. It's like every, like. It's a choice that you have to make. It's a choice you make every day. Constantly. Right. Now, I think it's really powerful that you were self-aware enough to go and seek out treatment. And a lot of people have it imposed on them. So like Mm -hmm. there's like an intervention style thing where like their family or their friends, they say like, you need to get help. And I have heard that, and I, I know this for myself, sorry to compare anything to like dealing with alcoholic. I'm going to use sugar addiction for the purposes sugar of making it. real. It's so, so real. It is so Thank real. you. Like I wish yeah. that there was a 12-step program for sugar addiction. There is. Oh, really? <laughs> Please, like <laughs> send me the deets, like loot there me in. Like I literally need to join. <laughs> like, no, like I would be like, hi, like I'm broke. I'm addicted to sugar. Like it's, it's real. I have heard that if you want to fix an addiction, it is something that like you have to decide. Like it's literally like not a choice that other people can make for you. Would you agree with that? hundred percent. So you basically have to commit yourself in term, but I think it's a scare. It's scary because I don't think people know where to begin and it feels too overwhelming. So they just figure like, I'll just manage with my addiction. Yeah. Or people think, um, how can I do this without alcohol? How can I do that without alcohol? Or how can I, and the fact, if someone were to ask me advice about that, mm-hmm. I would just say, just tell yourself you can do it. Like, I got sober. Like, my big thing was, like, how can I not drink at my wedding? How can I not drink at my wedding? And so, literally, 
I got sober being like, okay, when the day comes you get married, you can drink at your wedding. Now can you get sober for today? And it worked. And now mm. I would never want to drink at my wedding. But right. basically what I would say is lie to yourself. That's a really smart strategy. Do you it's know what I mean? If, it, if there's something like that you can't imagine doing without alcohol, allow yourself to do that one thing with alcohol. Mm. Do you know what I mean? In your mind, give yourself that permission because you probably won't want to do it. The fact that you've been able to um, talk about your kind of like issues with addiction openly is really amazing because, and you and I were talking about this when we talked about Kat Marnell and her book, How to Murder Your Life. Yes. There are not a lot of examples of women speaking about the experience of being an addict, speaking about the experience of drug use or dealing with alcoholism available like in pop culture. Like there's not TV shows, there's not movies about it. There are like a handful of books about it. Yeah. And there's one style, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's what I think is so upsetting to people about Kat Marnell is that like, she's unrepentant. She's like, I'm going to keep doing drugs. Whereas like, which I like personally, not, but also I'm, I'm a, like I'm an observer. So it's not like a lived experience. So I think I, for me, it's like reading Hunter S. Thompson. Right. Right. Like it's just this like renegade, like crazy. Right. Way of talking about dealing with this stuff, but not through the lens of, but I'm going to get better and like I am better. And this was my dark past. It's just like, this is what it is. I just do drugs. Yeah. I mean, I think how to murder your life. She's a little less like, I don't care. That's true. Yeah. By the time she got him, she's like, I don't care. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm going to link to amphetamine logic in the show notes. Just familiarize yourself. Because they are amazing. No, usually it's about redemption. It's the redemption story. You know, like I got, I was a disastrous alcoholic and now I am sober. And look, I will read anything that is about like someone doing drugs and alcohol and having an unhealthy relationship. (laughs) I will read it all. Like seriously. Love a self-destructive female protagonist. And there's some really, there's some, there's some like classics, but there is not a lot of good writing. So like one of my favorite books that was instrumental in helping me get sober was called drinking a love story by Caroline Knapp. Like Mm. any woman who is struggling with this stuff, like I would suggest reading it, but it's hard to find good stories that are relatable. Oh yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's hard to find like guides to like, how do I know if this is like dangerous fun or a real problem or a real problem? Yeah. I mean, and my argument would be like, it's a real problem if it feels like a real problem. Like people, I think like people often say like, like you don't end up in a meeting by accident. Do you know what I'm saying? Like people who don't struggle with this issue probably are not going to like go check out a 12 step meeting. That's interesting. And I guess that also relates back to this, like this higher power, something bigger than yourself. That's actually maybe guided you into that room without you even realizing that you needed it. Yeah. You know, and, and coming to terms with people do people definitely say that people definitely say that like that it's like more, you know, and, People definitely say that it's that that is like leader. They'll say that that's like their higher power working for them in ways mm. they didn't realize or whatever. And like, you know, I know that in, with twelve step stuff in general, and this is something I think about a lot. Is like, it doesn't work for a lot of people, which is unfortunate because being sober has changed my life so much for the better. That like to think of people not being able to get sober because they can't find a support system that works for them is a huge bummer. Yeah. Um, And, you know, one of the sticking points that people have is the whole God issue. Yeah, that's Um, a big, and it's a big part of the program. And it's a big part of the program. But I think it is a big part of the program. And I personally have trouble with the word God, but I don't have trouble with the idea that I'm that there might be something bigger than I am at work. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I see the program and being around all those people and speaking openly as something that is bigger than I am. Yes. And that is what has helped me. So yes. you do have to do a little bit of like intellectual rejiggering. Yeah. But you can make it work. And there are so many, 
there are so many ways to think about God and to think about spirituality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's really a question of like sort of being able to be like, yeah, I kn- to not listen to people who tell you that you're doing it wrong because you're not doing it wrong. If that mm. makes any sense. Like with every spiritual journey, someone was always being told that they were doing it wrong, but that <laughs> is antithetical to a spiritual. There is no right. such thing. Right. It's all, it's all very like personal and, and kind of based on where you are at that time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm so happy that you got sober because now I feel like all of your like wellness obsessions are Make a little more, they're a little more justified. <laughs> um, okay. Let's talk about very quickly the yes. three beauty trends or beauty products that you're like absolutely obsessed with at the moment and can't live without. Okay. So the first is, um, oils of any kind for any part of your body. So hair oil, face oil that goes under a moisturizer, body oil, any oil. If it's emollient, I want it on me. (laughs) Yes. Amazing. And if it's like small batch, like artisanal, like even better. Yeah. Very. If you're a brand that does that, like, let me know because I'll buy it. Um, or send it to me and I'll feature it on my Instagram. Um, but yeah, oils, oils are a big thing. And I think a lot of people are afraid to put oil on their face, but they shouldn't be. Yes. And I was guilty of that as well until my brother, this brother that I have been mentioning explained to me that like the reason that you have pimples is because of a dearth of oil. So you have to fight oil with oil, yeah, which made perfect sense. And now that I do it, my skin is, I mean, I have had luck with skin. So yeah, you have, I was going to say you have great skin. I, that has been my like singular genetic blessing is skin. Um, but it is the oil under a moisturizer or under, um, sunscreen is like a game changer. Like, like your skin is so much better. It really is. It really is. And also very easy to make at home if you just like pumpkin seed oil is actually what I've been using lately. And very few people have like breakouts with pumpkin seed oil, almond oil and grapeseed oil are also like good safflower oil. You can do research online to make sure that you're finding oils that won't cause breakouts. The one oil I would caution people against trying is coconut oil on your face. Bad idea. Don't don't do it. Some people do it and like they swear, like they put coconut oil on their face before they go to bed and they swear they have like the best skin ever. I think it does clog your pores. If your skin can handle it, great. I just can't do that. Yeah, yeah. I can't either. But for your hair, it's wonderful. Yes, exactly. And for your body, everything else. Okay, so oil, oil everywhere. Love that. What's oil your second? Everywhere. The second one is collagen powder. Okay. Um, and how are you ingesting this I collagen? I am ingesting collagen powder in my coffee. My nutritionist told me that I needed, I started seeing a nutritionist for some thyroid stuff a couple of months ago. And she was like, you need to drink coffee responsibly. <laughs> and I was like, what does that mean? She was like, no IV drip in the morning. So I put collagen in it because it's like a huge dose of protein. Yep. It stabilizes your blood sugar levels before you go into the day. So I have coffee with collagen and like coconut milk. Nice. And do you yeah. feel like you have more focus than just if the coffee was plain? I I don't know that it makes my focus better. Okay. I just, like, it's almost like psychologically I know that there's, like, a big hit of protein in my system. Yes. And, like, it's like I can worry less about, like... Trying to get your protein in for the day. Exactly. Yeah, which can be, like, Or, like, exhausting. feeling I'm, like I'm going to faint in the morning or something like that. Yeah. It's kind of, like, take care takes care of the, the protein situation. Yes. Also, uh, Sakara Life makes a collagen chocolate. Oh, yes. Okay. That's amazing. I will also link to that in the show notes. I tried to do like the bulletproof coffee thing where you add like coconut oil and MCT oil and Carrie's gold butter into your coffee and it made me feel really nauseous and sick. The oil is too much. Yeah. Like it made me feel like I wanted to barf and I'm going to try this collagen powder. Vital proteins. That's my fave. Vital proteins. Okay. And you just add one scoop into your like hot coffee and it mixes in. Does it like, can you feel like the grittiness or just... No, you can't, which is amazing. Make the coffee, put the scoop in and mix it with a spoon. And then I add coconut milk or whatever kind of milk I'm using. Nice. Okay. Yeah. And what's your third and final favorite beauty product? Um, leave-in conditioner. Yes. Leave-in conditioner. And now oh. is this new post bleaching? This is post bleaching. Okay. Actually, it's leave-in conditioner, an Oribe leave-in conditioner, also, sorry, I should have said this, um, shampoo by Kevin Murphy, Kevin Murphy, Angel Wash. 
Okay. Softest shampoo ever. Delicious smelling. I'm Angel very, Lush. I'm very sensitive to scents. I love delicious smelling things. But it's not, but Kevin Murphy, what I like is the scents aren't like cool. overpowering. They're not like, cause even the name Angel Wash, like uh, you guys have to see the branding. Like it's not cheesy. I promise. No, it's, it's like not very cheesy. sleek. <laughs> cause like it's, the term like Angel Wash, like I can I imagine know. people being like, mm, that doesn't sound good. No, that actually the packaging is really great. It's very, um, very like lovely minimal. on trend millennial pinks with like very simple lettering. It looks good in your bathroom, don't worry. I feel like you are such a specific like archetype in the best way. Like I'm not <laughs> even like criticizing you, but like I feel like people make things and they're like when they have their target in mind, it's like you. Right? Yes. It's yes, it's like, like there's this, I see stuff sometimes and I'm like You're speaking to my soul. You're speaking to my soul. <laughs> Marfa, Texas as an entire location is like built for you. 100%. So many spaces in New York, so many like window shops, so many, basically all of Brooklyn. Yeah. I went to Red Hook for the first time to their like main street, which is literally like one street and yeah. everything was like so cute and adorable. But I was like, no one really lives here yet. How can this be a neighborhood? But I feel like there were a lot of Kates like walking around with like their tote bags. Probably. Loving it. Probably. I feel like you don't make sense in Manhattan. It makes sense that you moved to Brooklyn because it's like more like artsy. It's so funny because when I lived in Manhattan, people were always like, where in Brooklyn do you live? And I was like, <laughs> I don't live in Brooklyn yet. <laughs> I was like, I don't live in Brooklyn. I make sense in Manhattan. Where I make sense now, though, is Chinatown. Mm, that Chinatown is like the new frontier. My final question for Ask you. Me. When do you feel most beautiful? This was the question that I was worried about, and I... Why do people get so worried about this question? I, per, as, a, as a creator, <laughs> when I first started doing this show, my, I asked this on my ver- very first episode, and I think it's like the most brilliant question, and I ask people, and they're like, oh, can we pause? Can I just, ha-? like, people hate this question. Is it not a good question? I think it actually is a really good question. I think it's just that, um, I think you have to get through a lot in your mind of what you think the answer should be to what yeah. the answer really mm-hmm. is. Like, it's like the first thing I think when I hear that question is like, what is the like feminist, like good example, yeah. like answer mm-hmm. for this? Like, I, like, I feel like I'm supposed to be like, you know what? I feel like the most beautiful when I'm like in sweatpants, giving great advice to a younger woman. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I feel like that's the answer I'm supposed to give. Giving advice to a younger woman. That is the funniest thing I've ever heard. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I know what you mean. It's it's very tempting to like cop out on like the real answer, but everyone, like, you probably have one. Like, everyone has like a real true moment where they know they feel the most beautiful. Yeah. And honestly, like, okay. So, I feel the most beautiful. Kate just moved her water glass aside. She's ready to go in on this explanation. I can't wait. The fact of the matter is, like, I feel the most beautiful when I am, like, really decked out. When I am wearing, when I've done, like, certain grooming, like, I don't wear a lot of makeup, but there are certain, like, grooming rituals that when I do Mm -hmm. them, I feel, like, in control of my life. So it's, like having the really fun event to go to, having a fantastic outfit, knowing the outfit is fantastic, getting my eyebrows done, yep. getting my toes done, even if it's like the winter and I'm wearing close-toed shoes. Yeah, it makes a difference. The it, way you walk, everything. Everything. Getting my nails done. Yep. Um, and, you know, having like a reasonable hair day and like, having all those things done and then getting into the outfit and having like a great bag to go with yes, it and a yes. great coat yeah. and just feeling like yes. you are the star of the movie of your mm-hmm. life. Like that moment of like experiencing yourself as a glamorous individual. Mm-hmm. That's when I feel beautiful. Oh, I love it and can totally relate and I really appreciate your honesty, not just on this question, but for the entire conversation we've had, like you've been so open. It's like, honestly, really, I'm not just saying this. It's like a reminder of why I started this show. Like, I just want to have like real honest conversation amongst women about all of this shit that we deal with. Um, and it all comes back to beauty, even if it seems like it's not, but we're just kind of like continually shaping ourselves and 
figuring it out. So I thank you for coming on. And thank you for having me. I was sharing. dying to do this. I'm so, this was great. great. Thanks guys for listening. See you next time. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed, who has rated, who has reviewed the podcast. Keep spreading the word. I really appreciate the support. I also love everyone who's been introducing themselves to me on Instagram. I'm at Brooke DeVard, also at Brooke DeVard on Twitter. All of the screenshots that you guys share when you are listening, those are amazing as well. Thank you for listening. This episode has been mixed by Layla Aweda. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.